Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Michelle Wanky and M- Megan George, co-founders of LA-based loungewear brand Monroe. In 2007, they self-funded the brand, which seems made for working from home. I wanted to ask them how they've leaned into the current moment and how they've responded to new competition in the market. Welcome to you, Michelle. Hi. Good morning, Jill. And welcome, Megan. Hi. 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 So let's just lean into that. Um, Everyone's launching loungewear, as you know, everyone from Zara to Ghani to Eileen Fisher, we've heard uh, in 2020. Uh, Would you say that's been a challenge? Is it retaining the market share, I guess? Not for us, actually, because that's what we started with. So we actually are doing what our customers familiar with getting from us already. Yeah. For sure. So back in 2007, what was the plan for the brand? Loungewear wasn't as hip and happening. (laughs) But we actually wanted to create the perfect basics and the perfect sweatsuit. We came, Megan and I, we both lived in Los Angeles. We met at Otis. We were studying fashion design. We both separately worked at Ron Herman, um, which was like the launching pad for many huge brands for many decades. And we both saw a void in the market. We were already in the industry, not manufacturing, but we both were like, we want to be able to wear sweatsuits that cater to just people like us where it's not so loud and bubblegummy. We wanted to it to look a little more like streamlined and low key and not just um, hot colors and graphics and bedazzled everywhere. So we were like, let's just do this. We were a lot younger, so we kind of didn't really have this like grandiose plan. We just were like, let's try it out. Yeah, definitely. Well, you guys are both more kind of the creative minds, design minded. You went to, like you said, Otis College of Art and Design in L.A., Looking back, is that the route you would have gone uh, as, you know, leaders of the business? We hear a lot of folks coming out of Harvard Harvard Business School and jumping into it. Uh, How would you describe, I guess, (laughs) yeah, I guess the strengths or maybe the weaknesses? How are you balancing that? Um, I think it's been a while. I think Megan and I are both very uh, flexible, open-minded people. So Regardless if we went to business school or not, um, I think that we love to learn and we're always learning and we're always seeking to learn, whether it be just, I mean, having a company, I mean, you're learning every day, every hour or, you know, not having a company. So I think it's just our personality types. Definitely. Well, Megan, I know you uh, launched a brand prior to Monroe, George, uh, that was since that was sold to uh, Fred Siegel. What can you tell me about learnings that came from that? Things you definitely maybe didn't want to do or did want to do? <laughs> well, I learned I wasn't ready from that, actually. So um, it kind of took off really quickly and I got all these orders and I just didn't have the means to produce the orders. I just, I really didn't have the manufacturing side of things intact. And so it was, um, I, I made the first samples by hand. They were just these little tops that I would make. So I really didn't have 
didn't know how to make colors and different sizes and all the things that you have to do for when you get orders from multiple stores. So I just, that was a big learning experience, but having known what we kind of needed when we decided to start Monroe, we, I, I did have a few of the basics that we could turn to and, but it was certainly like a learning process nonetheless and very organic and you just kind of learn on the fly, which yeah. I think having had gone to design school for four years and being constantly pushed and constantly sort of criticized and, you know, just always better. And so I think that really did actually really benefit us being able to get through the beginning part because the beginning is just, you don't really know what you're doing. Right. So going into Monroe, who were those key partners? Who did you need? No, we needed sewers, a cutter, a sample maker, <laughs> a pattern, pattern maker. maker, just real basic things. And, but yeah. we, but we did have those things and, um, a dye house, a dye house. Cause <laughs> we are a garment dye company. So we don't buy the fabric already in colors. We actually create our own colors. And that's actually one thing that's really important from the design part for Michelle and I, whenever, we would sit down to design a new season we always start with like a color palette because it kind of sets the mood yeah are you still doing seasonal collections yeah 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 (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean we're still on the fashion calendar everybody wants new stuff all the time a year Oh my gosh. So what did you learn this year? Because I know a lot of folks, they're pulling back, especially uh, brands that have a large wholesale presence, which I know you do. Uh, Looking back 2020, we just started 2021. uh, Yeah. What changes did you say, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to do it differently. I guess even to like safeguard the brand for future crises. (laughs) God forbid. We went back to the essence of what we felt Monroe was, I think, because we had so much to draw from. And I think that there's, you kind of go back, which is the beauty of what happened was you just go back to the basics and you go back to keeping things simple. And you're like, okay, what do people love about our brand? Well, we're so immersed in Monroe that we know what they want and what they like. And we know what we like and what we want to give to people. Mm -hmm. And I think that it gave us the the voice again, where we're like, okay, we don't have to really listen to our wholesale, you know, partners as much because that was kind of like going out the window last March where they were like, they didn't know what was going on. And we're like, okay, we're just going to do what we feel is true Monroe and what people still want from the direct to consumer aspect. And it really just streamlined things and is always like kind of as a business owner, what you always want to get to and get back to if you've been doing it a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, take it or leave it, buy our collection or don't. Was it prior where they, yeah, they were looking for exclusives. They were looking for very- You name it, they want it. Yeah. yeah. At a very discounted <laughs> rate. Yeah. Yes. Totally. So it's actually, it feels more free Yeah, and more creative actually. Yeah, it really just gives. Yeah, it, it in a, essentially, I feel like it just gives you that like you confidence can, back. What you don't, you don't have that doubt anymore because when you're so in that 
hamster wheel of creating for so many different customers, you're always like doubting yourself and you're always like checking and you're like, oh, well, this isn't right for this person. Well, there is nothing's right for everybody, mm-hmm. but we know what's right for like the core Monroe customer and our voice. So we just got to go back to that and kind of focus on that. And it was like a really nice pause in the wholesale world. I think Megan and I, that was our takeaway. It was like, okay, let's just do what we want to do that we feel like is really Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the customer? What do they want from you? What do you know that they're looking for? Uh, Yeah. Wholesale partners, get out of here. (laughs) They want good fit and they want want casual uh, garments, but that look well put together and and soft and soft everything Everything has to be soft and just good quality (laughs) and yeah and something that just like fits well when you put it on essentially and that's what the culture has moved to you feel good and you feel comfortable but you also feel put together you don't you know because people want to be comfortable we're all at home but we also want to look like we're like Put there's, some effort yeah. into our... There's some part of the day where we're, like, yeah. striving to... <laughs> keep it together. Keep it together. Be presentable. You know, keep up some type of routine. So I think that Monroe offers that. I think it really is that, like, baseline for your everyday wardrobe. It's, like, a place... It's the place to start. Mm-hmm. For Megan and I, it's the place where we end, too, because we pretty much only wear Monroe, but... I think it's a good starting ground. When you put it on, you're like, okay, I can build from here. And right now people aren't building that much because they're not wearing, they're not going anywhere. Exactly. How are you getting across uh, the softness of your fabric that is your your signature since 2007? I think there's two aspects to that question. One of them being that we've been around for over a decade. So I think people are familiar with our fabrics. And I think that really is a positive thing. So there's that familiarity. And then, I mean, through verbiage and photos and photo shoots, and you just try to relay that kind of vibe online through social media and through the photos on the website and you just, and verbiage, but you're reliant on those two factors. But the familiarity obviously is like a huge boost. People know, are very familiar with our fabrics. Yes. Did you have to rely uh, more so on influencers to keep that imagery, that beautiful imagery uh, pumping out there throughout the pandemic? What did you do to, to keep that alive? We went, we're always focusing on that. You know, it's not the, a huge aspect of our business, but it is an aspect. We're always trying to get stuff out there. But in this day and age, it's, you know, it's a it's luck of the draw. It's like whoever wants to wear it will end up wearing it and tagging it. So I think we are in such a fast-paced industry. And uh, Megan and I are so focused on just getting the product to the customers. And we were, you know, having such a demand problem because of shutdowns and just trying to keep up with the pace that – I couldn't really focus on like who was wearing what, but we definitely gave people things and who requested and it was an aspect, but it wasn't like the biggest aspect of our company. Let's talk about that supply chain problem. (laughs) Um, Yes. What, What were the obstacles? You guys are based in LA. Is all the manufacturing happening there as well? Yes, for the most part. Almost all of it. The only thing we import is sweaters. Did the warehouse, did production shut down temporarily? So we are pretty much 
all in-house. We don't like do the like big sewing and dye. We don't have a dye house. So all those things. But I think once again, it goes back to like having a company for more than a decade. The relationships are there. So when we need something to happen for us, our vendors are willing to go the extra mile to help us out if they're closed, like finding ways around things to work with us because we've worked with them for so long. Mm -hmm. So Megan and I started the business ourselves. We produced and did everything ourselves. So when we had to shut down essentially and everybody was at home, Megan and I like really knew like the key things that needed to take place to get goods made. But yeah, there were delays on a lot of fronts. But we had product because everybody, when everybody shut down, everybody canceled their orders. So we actually had product from canceled orders that we would just put online. And so we were able to move it. And by the time everybody slowly started to come back, we then started to create the the new stuff and keep it going. And it's just coming at a slower pace, but it's we're still able to produce um, our orders for the most part. We had, fa- you know, we had a lot of fabric stocked from previous orders. So mm-hmm. we were able, while we were shipping goods that were from canceled orders, Megan was able to start cutting up fabric that we currently had for, you know, our basics and our core styles. So we could keep it moving. It was just, there were some delays on like getting more raw materials yeah. that created a bottleneck. That makes sense. I was going to ask if you guys were an exception to the rule with all of those cancellations that most brands experience with the wholesale partners, <laughs> considering you make loungewear, considering you make tie-dye for crying out loud. But no, you, you saw the same thing? Yeah, for sure. We had tons of inventory. Tidal wave. Just of a just sea. Everybody. Merchandise. All the wholesalers, <laughs> all the stores were like, they can't, like within two days, it was like over a million dollars orders just canceled. Oh my gosh. So getting through that inventory, sifting through, did that require discounts and promotions? And um, yeah, how, how, what were you able to do with that inventory to, to make it move? In 2020, we have e-commerce now and it's a different time. So we saw a we demand and I all. saw like we saw a shift in our e-com sales because of the demand for, you know, anything are well no but sweatpants mm-hmm. essentially and sweatshirts yeah. and t-shirts just started like to skyrocket so we just shifted all that merchandise to e-com and we feel very grateful that we had the right kind of merchandise that was in such demand mm-hmm. for sure right now i know you had five at one point 500 boutiques and department stores is that still up uh, i guess doors or channels is that still the case. And yeah, what's the plan? What's the balance of direct-to-consumer versus wholesale? It's just shifting organically. I mean, we do have a very strong wholesale business and we're very grateful for it, but we our e-com is just as strong If and it's probably going to become stronger. But because we started as a wholesale business, our wholesale business is a, it's a huge part of the backbone of our company. Mm-hmm. Did that shift require changes in-house? Would you say that your e-commerce site was was equipped to handle handle that shift? Yeah, there's a lot of changes that needed to happen and a lot of work that had to be done. While production was producing all the product, we had to really shift things online and keep up 
with the demand, but like put things in place with merchandising, tracking the orders, tracking the sales, figuring out the buys, changing the buys, changing the quantities, all the things that, you know, come hand in hand with what we're promoting, what the customer wants, just being keeping your hand on the pulse. And e-com is very transparent in that way. You can see things much easier. There's not this middleman where you're relying on the buyers to tell you. It's it's easier to see where the sales are coming from and what people are wanting. So in that way, it's easier to make changes and because you're you're in it more. For sure. That makes sense. Paint the picture, if you could, the size of your company, the number of team members, uh, if you could share your, your annual sales or growth, any any numbers around that? Well, our e-com has like well more than doubled from this pandemic. I mean, it's, it's skyrocketed. So that were... Yeah, we used to be about 70-30 probably, and now we're at least 50-50. So that's been a huge a huge change, but it's still, you know, the same amount of product and, um, getting it made. And I think too, just because we are domestically manufactured, we can turn things around really quickly, even in a pandemic. So we are, we can definitely like facilitate getting what we want to get made, get and get it out there in a relatively short amount of time. What's working to drive business to, to marketing-wise? What, what, are, what channels are you leaning into now? I think marketing-wise, we're leaning into all the traditional types of, you know, Facebook, Google, what everybody else is. And then your, like, affiliate marketing, you know, will be down the line and just influencers. So we're still doing all that stuff, if not more so. Um, but we, I feel like the reason we have such a leg up is again, the familiarity and people, it's this brand that has stood the test of time and people know it and love it. And it's just getting it out there more, but having that, the brand recognition match up with the actual product where you're really getting something quality Mm -hmm. and it's not like a new brand that's launching. They might not have worked out their kinks and don't know their voice yet. You know, I think that we, we were always making, you know, they always say like to make something design, something that's really a successful design looks so simple. Mm -hmm. And I think Megan and I get that a lot where it's like, oh, you're just making sweats, just do sweats, (laughs) you know, but to do new types of variations of sweats, essentially every month, sometimes twice a month is, is not easy. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're always, you know, we're trying to reinvent the wheel. Well, I shouldn't say the wheel because we're not trying to like make a new invention, but we are reinventing what people want and know they want from us, but with slight changes and giving them constantly giving the consumer a reason to keep buying more athleisure, sweats, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Tell me about who that customer is and what you know about the loyalty. Is it is it a customer that's coming back time and time again? They're looking for a new take on sweats because, I don't know, they do work from home or they're like a mom and they just want to look chic. I think that people want it's it's just the it's the basic consumer. Art. I mean, what makes me excited is I always wanted a line and I know Megan as well. Like I we really wanted to always make clothes that people actually wear. And so that ideal customer, yes, you can like put in these like marketing, like target 
customer, but it makes me excited about Monroe to this day that so many different kinds of people love Monroe and it speaks to so many different kinds of people, regardless of your body shape, your age, where you come from. Like there is, there is something about Monroe that really speaks to such a wide array of people. Mm -hmm. And that makes me always fills my bucket, Mm -hmm. you know? You, you talked about that uh, recognition of the brand. Uh, I know that you it's been worn by, I mean, Oprah for crying out loud, but <laughs> uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, some big time celebrities. Has that contributed in a big way? Um, and yeah, do you highlight that, I guess, on your channels? We did when we started. I think it helped us start for sure being an L.A. brand and um, just it is Hollywood and having access to those channels. Definitely. And it was... D- different, you know, 15 years ago, but for sure in the beginning, it really did help the exposure of Monroe. And And it still does. Yeah. When, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's wearing our stuff, people, it's, it leaves an impression. It's not that she's posting about Monroe or, you know, or even when influencers, they tag us or don't tag us. It's still people, it's still aspirational. Those those people, Oprah, Michelle Obama, like when you see them wearing it in the way that they style it, it, you know, it gives you that aspirational sense. And that's essentially like the best kind of advertising, mm-hmm. you know, it gets it out there because so many eyeballs are on those public figures. For sure. Considering um, you, the, the year that we had, I know that there's a, a Black Lives Matter uh, highlight on your Instagram right now. Um, just uh, speaking to the, I guess the the cause and and what you stand for. I'm just wondering, does your um, customer are they do they know what you stand for now? Do you find it um, necessary to really weigh in or um, speak up, um, particularly in the year that we just had? I don't know how to answer that exactly, but I hope that we do have a sense of community and following and support of everybody because that's really, I think that's one of the big lessons of this pandemic is like really, it really affects everybody and just being all inclusive and sort of having that community that where we all support one another, I think is, I hope, and I think being like a grassroots kind of local brand too, we hope that, um, you know, that and contributing to the local economy and all of those things, we hope that we that it comes across in our in our brand sort of ID that, you know, we want to be more of a community and work together. Have you guys made a point? You, we, you're self-funded. You want to stay that way. What's been going on in terms of fundraising? Has that come into play? Have you um, considered that recently? Megan and I are, like I said at the beginning, open people. Um, We're fortunately not in the position right now where we need fundraising, but we're always open to anything. I think that's what keeps us like supple as a business. And um, we're, we're open to listening to anything or any kind of opportunity that really comes our way. And I think if it works at the time, we're, we're not so square where we don't see outside the box. And I think the opportunity hasn't presented itself that works for Monroe. But I think at the end of the day, like it's just whatever is best for Monroe. That makes perfect sense. Coming out, out of holiday, we are, you're my first podcast of the new year. How did you approach it this year? Uh, I Obviously, there are the shipping delays, there's all the, all the obstacles, but um, were promotions a big part of that? And 
yeah, what else did you do? Promotions were, um, we did our, you know, our sale closer towards like Black Friday, which is now like become like basic, essentially it's like a whole month of promotions. Um, that shifted, but then it ended. We um, fortunately don't have to be so promotional right now. Um, but I think like this year at the end of the year, we've had a lot of a lot of challenges that we just keep on putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, we're dealing with the coronavirus. We're manufacturers. We still have people, you know, coming to the office and we have to be extra cautious about distancing and mask wearing and just taking care of our team in um, just in every aspect to keep them safe. And it takes a lot of you know, uh, attention from me and Megan, we really, it's just, there's always something that's coming up Mm -hmm, and like, and Megan and I are always trying to like pivot and make decisions based on, even if they're small decisions, but still like, okay, are we shutting down this part of the warehouse? Is this part of the office shutting down? What, you know, when something happens, because we just have to be cautioned and, and safety, obviously of our team is our number one priority. So yeah, I mean, going into the new year is very, it looks really different because we've had some situations come up over the past couple months where, you know, people have gotten coronavirus and staying home and they haven't fortunately got it here, but still we have to protect our employees. Mm -hmm. So people that can work from home, work from home, but we are manufacturers. So we don't have the luxury of just being or I 100% guess hundred percent. Yeah. Home. Yeah. Yes. Are you guys at the office right now? Yeah. Yeah. We're in my office. That's enclosed. I mean, even this, like us sitting next to each other, no mask doing an interview. There's mm-hmm. just, it's just looks so different now. Yes. You're not kidding. Well, I definitely want to dig into the plan for 2021, but um, Q4, is that typically your, your largest, I guess, sales driver, your biggest sales quarter. And what was your experience for 2020? Like compared to the norm? Well, Q1 was not strong. And then it was, um, we were going into it, trying to figure out like what we're going to do. And we were at this, definitely at a point where we're like, okay, we got to make some changes. What are we doing? And then the coronavirus hit. And then we were really not knowing what we're doing. And then all of a sudden the shift was so fast and we're like, we really knew what we were doing and we saw such a spike as well. And we were just like all about supporting that spike. So Q2 this year or 2020, I should say, and Q4 were both like equally as strong where Q4 is usually stronger. That makes sense. Going into 2021, how do you prepare? How do you plan? What are your expectations? Just, we got to not really have a plan. Yeah, we have to. Just keep doing what we're doing. And we we have, we still have all of the collections that we've already been, we've already worked and designed through fall of 2020. So that's um, August and um, July's sort of deliveries. And we're just going to just keep going according to schedule, but then just have to adjust as yeah, and reality is. And we're going to meet, you know, again, we're all like some of us are back in the office. Some of us are not because there was holiday travel and just being really flexible. Yeah. And the pace will just slow because 
especially with the virus and people having to quarantine if they travel or come in contact. It just, you have no control over that. So people will just, the, just some people that you maybe do need to see or be in contact with, you just can't. And whatever we can do, you know, remotely, we do as best we can. I'm hearing that a lot. The no plan year. (laughs) The no plan plan. (laughs) No plans allowed. All right. Well, thanks you guys so much. This has been a great interview. Great chatting with you. So nice talking with you. Thank you. Happy new year. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.